0: Welcome to Your Realtor Success Channel in Northwest Florida with your host, Tim Whittemore with the Whittemore Group. If you're a new agent or a seasoned agent looking to better yourself and your career and or looking into the opportunities of being an agent with LPT Realty, look no further. Tim breaks down the things you need to know without all the hype and fluff, so stick around. What's up everybody? This is Tim Whittemore with the Whittemore Group here with LPT Realty coming at you with some more great information. Whether you're an aspiring agent, a newer agent, or a seasoned agent, so trying to get to that next part of your career, I'm here to help you through where you're trying to go. I've been through it all, I've been that single agent, I've been a team buyer's agent, I've been an ops manager, now team lead, and I've done it in several states, either New York, Ohio, and now here in Florida. So let me be that voice of reason to help you get to the next part of your career. They always say that you're the sum of the five people that you surround yourself with. Let me be one of those voices to help you get there. <sighs> all right. <laughs> Let's talk about my biggest real estate failures in real estate as an agent, okay? Um, As a new agent, I want to go into this, but I've made these same mistakes over time, and I've learned them vicariously through the people that I have coached and I've mentored over the years. But I'm going to give you five of them. I'm going to give you five of them that uh, were really a big thing for me. And that I consistently see in other agents as well. Number one is being consistent in prospecting. Okay. That was the biggest failure because we would get out the gate. You know, you're all super excited. You're like, yeah, I just got my real estate license. You went through training, you got all your training and then you're like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's do this. So one of the big things that I did is I moved from a place that, you know, where I knew everybody moved to a place I didn't know anybody, which was really not an advantageous move in my case because I didn't have a sphere of influence, which are people that already know you, like you and trust you, right? So I had to figure out other ways to prospecting, fanatically prospecting, okay? And I wanted to do everything at one time. So I'd be like cold call, Fisbos, expireds, open houses, right? Um, But the big one that worked the best for me was open houses at that time. And uh, when I got into open houses, I would start doing them, doing them, and then, bam! I got somebody who was like, "Ooh, yeah, I'm, li- I'm interested in purchasing, and I'm super excited." And I get so involved in this buyer, they stop prospecting with everything altogether, okay? And because of that, I would go through, and that first buyer didn't work out. Although I was with them for probably two to three weeks, showing homes, whatever, and then it didn't end up working out. Well, the problem was, is I completely neglected the prospecting side. I didn't stay consistent with it. And when it comes to sales, it's all about momentum and it's all about consistently doing things over and over again. And because of that, (coughs) and because of that, it wasn't consistent. So instead of just continuing to prospect during that time that I was still working with the buyer, well, now I just have to start all over and now it's going to take me equal as amount of time, if not more, to get back up to that momentum. That's a huge thing is is being consistent with your prospecting and never stopping. Knowing that that's going to be the priority of what you should be doing. Stay consistent with your prospecting so you don't do what I did. And start riding that roller coaster, which I'll talk about here in a minute. Number two is losing track of time. <laughs> you get so excited with some things and you're like, ooh, squirrel. And you kind of go after them um, where somebody would come, come in and be like, hey, you know, we've uh, we've got... Uh, this new buyer technique or this new seller technique. And you'd be like, oh, wow. Or let's, let's learn about building SEO for our website. And that's all you concentrate on, right? And then you start working on a certain project or whatever, or working with a buyer or trying to solve an issue uh, for your buyer that really wasn't time. Like it, it didn't need to happen right away. And because of that, your entire day was wasted and your top priorities never happened, right? You only accomplished that one thing. And next thing you look up and you are like, hey, I got this, I, I got on this rabbit hole, rabbit trail, whatever, right? Um, at 930 in the morning, now it's 3 p.m. And I didn't do any of my prospecting. I didn't follow up with any of my customers. I didn't get to do any of those things. And I lost track of time. And now I'm mentally exhausted. And I just, I'm not going to work until 8 p.m. Because I've got other responsibilities as an adult, right? Or I'm just tapped out. So how did I, how did I fix that? The biggest thing I did was time blocking and you can use a free system. I use Google calendars and you can block out hours, half hours, even 15 minutes if you really want to get there and block out the main things that you want to accomplish in the day. Now, the big thing I learned was the 80 20 principle, which is Pareto's principle where basically it says that 20% of the things that you need to do each day will solve 80% of your problems. And that will work for each day, each week, each year, right? And you want to concentrate on that top 20% and time block at least the top 20%. Other than that, it's just a filler. If you get it done, great. So that's how I alleviated that. Number three was that roller coaster, okay? The roller coaster, I see it so many times and no matter how much I say it till I'm blue in the face, agents still don't see this or they don't want to see it. And basically what will happen is they'll get somebody. And they're like, yes, I want to go purchase home. We'll say we got a buyer. And then we go out and we show them properties. And then we get them under contract. And now we have that period from contract close, 30 to maybe 45 days. And that's all we're concentrating on. And because of this, during that time, you prospect, 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 prospect. And then we got somebody. But you you still prospect, but now this is taking priority. And then you're not prospecting at all. And you're only concentrating on this deal. That's the only thing. That's the only thing you can concentrate on. Right, and then that deal closes, and you get that paycheck, and you're like, "Woo!" But now I have no momentum for the rest of my sales. I have nobody else in my pipeline of people I'm going to work with. Okay, that's what we call the roller coaster. Okay, because you're going up, prospecting, prospecting. You get somebody, and then your prospecting goes down, and then you close, and you're at the end, and you're like, "Oh no, I got a prospect!" So prospect, prospect, prospecting and up and down. That's what we call the roller coaster. So to try not to do this, and when you have somebody or multiple people under contract, you want to ensure that you keep prospecting to keep that going so you don't have those huge dips in your business. That's why a lot of agents, when it comes after the holidays, because they weren't prospecting, have nothing going in January or February. Finally, March comes, and that was the spring market, and now boom, we're super busy. Well, we could have had consistent business over time if we would have taken that time, time block that top 20%, and hopefully top 20% is some sort of prospecting and accomplishing that on the daily, okay? Number four, oh man. <laughs> Number four was something that I had to get drilled in my head, and it was this one word, follow-up. If you ever ask any agent that I've ever trained, they would be like, what is Tim's favorite phrase? And they'll be like, follow-up. Follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. I gotta say it three times. <laughs> All right. And it means so much because I've lost so much business because I've got so busy with trivial things, right? And I didn't follow up with somebody. There's no worse feeling than having a great conversation with somebody, right? And you're like, yeah, you know, you're my guy, Tim. You're my guy. Yeah. All right. Sweet. We're going to go out. We're going to do this and have this big old plan. And when they leave or when you get off the phone, you're like, yes, this guy's locked in. He's locked in next month. And you never follow up with them. And then the next thing you know, when you finally do follow up in the month, they will be like, oh, yeah, we already purchased. We figured you were busy, so we just went to the listing agent. And that seemed to be the house. Oh, you should totally come over after we close. You're going to love it. <laughs> that's a real story, by the way. <laughs> so uh, that's thousands of dollars in some cases, if not more, because... You didn't follow up with them or because you didn't educate them on how this whole thing works now to mitigate that you know follow-up was to put it in my schedule right that's the top 20% was to follow up we use our CRM's our customer resource management system to update ourselves right it could be a chime could be follow-up boss could be you know anything right Uh, that that you're using to consistently remind you to talk to these people. Now, do you have to talk to them every day? Probably not, but at least keep it up once a week, once every two weeks, for goodness, at least a month, (laughs) and continue to follow up with them. Even after you have a conversation, follow up and be like, hey, is everything still the same? That is so huge. 70%, and I'm not kidding, at least 70% of your business is going to come from follow-up. So please do not make my mistake, don't leave money on the table. Get them in there and follow up with them and continue to solidify the relationship. It typically takes around six or seven follow-up calls for you to really solidify any relationship when it comes to buying, selling, or investing in real estate. All right, last but not least number five was getting signed agreements. Oh my God. Um, So I'm gonna tell you a story. And this has happened more than one time. But when you work with a buyer or you work with a seller, you get a listing agreement working with the seller. Now, that's pretty standard because we got to work for our commissions. We got to put it on paper. Like, okay, right? And then when it comes to a buyer, not everybody wants to get that because, you know, they're necessarily not paying you any fees, right? And we're like, I don't want to upset them or whatever excuse you have in your brain, right? (laughs) But if you don't get a signed agreement with somebody... They can easily get up at any time, no matter how much time you've had working with them, and go use another realtor. They're not obligated to you. They didn't sign anything, right? And I've had this happen more than once, but here's a good story. So I was working with a buyer-seller, and she was selling a home in Panama City Beach, right? And when she, when she signed our listing agreement, I sent it over to them to digitally sign, now I didn't at the same time send the buyer's agreement to help her purchase a home in another place, which is a little bit further to the west. And I sent it via email, uh, through, you know, one of those digital sign like dot loop and I just assumed that it was taken care of. So as we're continuing to list her property and get everything going, you know, we're going kind of back and forth on what needs to happen, whatever. And then we finally get to a point and they're like, hey, yeah, we're just going to drive around the neighborhood. Well, when they drove around the neighborhood, apparently they called the listing agent that came over and then wrote a contract for them. And I was like, oh, that's how it's going to be. All right, well, you can just go ahead and put my name on there because we have a